guys, we are back with our teaching in the book of Revelation. And since this is our very first chapter, I cannot overemphasize for you guys, if you have not, go back and look at the introduction that I did on the teaching on the book of Revelation. That way, when we get into certain issues concerning interpretation and things of that matter, you'll be ready to deal with the study of this book. Okay, so go back. If you haven't looked at it, go check out the introduction that we made concerning the book of Revelation. All right. So since this is our very first chapter, there is nothing that we need to review. Let's just hop into Revelation one and one. All right. It begins the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bond servants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bond servant, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Okay, let's deal with that. So here it says it is the revelation. Now, in some cases in this book, guys, I may deal with certain Greek issues of Greek grammar and the Greek language. I don't like to do that because I don't want to confuse anyone, but there are times that it's, it's important or it is favorable in understanding right what the scriptures is trying to say in looking at the Greek grammar. Okay. And whenever we do that, I'm going to do my very best to try to explain it to you so that you will understand it. Even if you speak no Greek, you will get the understanding from the original text of scripture in this same sense. All right. So John begins and he says the revelation. Now notice that you see the in front the, and whenever you see me say the, okay, this is important. So I'll take my time here. Oftentimes uh, in the Greek, you'll see the being used as a definite article, which means that it points to something that is very specific Okay, very specific. However, in the text of the Greek text here, it actually says a revelation of Jesus Christ. Apocalypsis Jesu Christu. So it says this is a revelation. So it's not so much as trying to point to something specific, even though by the very context of this letter, it is specific. But. The is not in the text. Okay. So it's saying this is a revelation concerning Jesus Christ. And then it begins to tell you the manner of transmission. Notice this revelation was given by God to Jesus. Notice which God gave to him from God to Jesus. Right. Ultimately, this is given to his bond servants. That is John to the apostle John, which will be given to the church itself. But also it says he communicated these things through an angel. And we see on a number of occasions, the Bible makes a mention of revelation given by angels. We see that uh, heavily used in the book of Zechariah. We even see that concerning the law of Moses. Now, even though nowhere in those first five books of the Bible, it is nowhere indicated that Moses received the law through an angel. 
However, it is told to us in the book of Acts, I believe it's chapter seven, when, when Stephen is given a testimony to the Jewish people, it is given by Paul in the book of Galatians. It is also spoken by the writer of Hebrews that angels are often used in the giving of revelation. And this is what we basically see happening here with this revelation, final revelation of Jesus that is being given to John. It is being communicated to John through the help of an angel. All right. Now, let me deal with this issue here. And it's often confused when it says the things which must soon take place. That basically, it, it, that's, that's coming to Genesta uh, and I'm not going to do all this Greek stuff, but here's the thing. That, that word, takei, takei, soon take place. It does not mean that as soon as John receives the revelation, all the things that are being revealed to John must quickly take place. What it literally means is this. It means that once these events begin, begin to take place, they will happen in rapid succession. So once they do begin to take place, they will happen very quickly. Okay. And then ultimately says at the end of verse number one, and this message, this revelation of Jesus was sent to John and it speaks of verse number two, how John was one who was a faithful witness who testified to the word of God and that of Jesus Christ. John bore witness to these things, right? Now let's get to verse number three. One, and this is what we also talked about in our introduction as we were answering a question, why study the book of Revelation? Verse number three, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it for the time is near. Now, verse number three, this is, as we stated earlier, it is the only book in the Bible where it states clearly there is a blessing to reading this book. So therefore, even though sometimes there are certain issues of interpretation, it's not always easy to understand, but we're not going to harp on that by God's grace. As we said earlier, there is nothing that God has not given in his word that cannot be understood. Now, sometimes it may take time. In other words, let me explain what I mean by that. So I'm going to stop running off. If I have to just slow things all the way down, guys, I will. Sometimes it may take time. In other words, God can give a revelation, but the understanding of that revelation may not come until many years later. But the point is, if God does give it, he intends for it to be understood, whether at the present time or he intends for it to be understood sometimes in the future. And that's why I think it was Moses who said in Deuteronomy whether 29, that the things that are secret belong to whom? God. But the thing that God has revealed belongs to the son of men that we may do all the words of this law. In other words, if God reveals it in his word to us, he intends for us to get that understanding, even if that understanding has to come at a later time. You'll also see that the understanding at a later time 
For example, you'll see that with Daniel. There were many things that Daniel stated, Daniel chapter 12, that Daniel did not understand in the vision, but God said, it's not for him to understand, but to that generation that will be as it comes to through time moves on. We call it progressive revelation. They will understand it. Okay. But nevertheless, there is a blessing to studying the book of revelation and notice blessed. That is the spiritual state of the person. And notice there are three verbs that we basically see that are working to the one who reads and that speaks for itself to read the revelation of Jesus. And notice, notice in verse number one, sometimes you see it saying some in certain Bibles that say the revelation of John. It's not the revelation of John. It is the revelation of Messiah. And guys, I, and I, let me back up a little bit. And by revelation, it simply means an unveiling, an unveiling, a disclosure Okay, so it speaks of an unveiling or disclosure concerning Jesus. Now, later on, we're going to talk about that in this particular chapter, exactly what it is, which is nothing more than the coming of Jesus Christ. That means the second advent. When we say, when I say the word second advent, it means simply the return, the return of Jesus to this planet to rule this planet, to sit on the throne of David, okay? And that's what it's referring to when we say the second advent or the second coming or the return of Jesus Christ, all right? So, and that's what the idea is with Revelation. It tells us about the events that will surround the return of Jesus Christ, even unto that period, okay? But anyway, so we're talking about those three verbs, right? Why is it a, a blessing? How to read it that speaks for itself and to hear it. The idea of hearing simply means the idea of remember when Jesus constantly talked about that watchfulness, be on guard, be on your watch. So the idea is not simply just listening, but the idea is to be on guard with respect to here's that third to heed, to obey the things that are written in the book. So there is a blessing. There is a blessing for the individual who reads, who hears, and who obeys the words that are written in the book of Revelation. And that is one of the greatest reasons why we should all seek to study Revelation even today. Okay. And I do hope that this study will be a blessing to you. But anyway, so let's go on now. So th that is basically our introduction. And now as we get into Revelation and we understand that, and that's why you have to go back and look at that Revelation again, guys, that introduction to Revelation. Revelation is also an epistle. An epistle is a letter. It's a letter. Okay. And so we see the way that Revelation is written even now, verses four through eight is what I'm going to deal with. And the epistolatory format in other words, the greetings. When you write a letter, you're saying, okay, hello, this is our salutation. All right. So here it is. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness 
the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. He has made us to be a kingdom priest to his God and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So now that's basically our salutation from John. And so let's break it down. John to the seven churches in Asia. So he writes this letter to those seven churches. And we're going to talk about those seven churches. As a matter of fact, later on, even in this chapter, Church of Ephesus, Church of Smyrna, Church of Pergamon, Church of Thyatira, Church of Philadelphia, Church of Laodicea. He's going to talk about, he's going to name all of those seven churches. And we will get to the, the address of those letters to those seven churches in chapters two and three. So I'm going to hold off completely and entirely. I'm not going to even get into that about those letters and the interpretation of those letters. Okay. We will talk about that extensively, but nevertheless, it is addressed to those seven churches in Asia. And basically that's the idea of Asia minor, Asia minor. We understand that region as modern day Turkey. All right. Now, another thing, too, about the seven churches that we know there were more than seven churches in Asia Minor. So the reason why we are writing, John is writing, the Lord God is sending these letters to the church, the seven churches he chose because seven is the number for completion. So the idea is that is that spiritual interpretation that we have to derive from this. It is indeed to seven literal churches. What did I say? Seven literal churches. But the idea is by using these seven churches, that the spiritual sense is since seven is the number of completion to all the churches. And as we're going to get into chapters two and three, not right now, but to all the churches throughout all the church age throughout all the church age. And we'll talk about that and allow me just simply to say that now, but I'll get into that later on when we get into chapter two. Okay. The church age that is. So it is to all of the churches. That's the reason why he says seven. All right. And then notice from whom, who is responsible for the writing, the creation, the message of revelation, who is responsible it is the triune God. It is the Trinity. God in his complete being as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Notice it says, from him who is and who was and who is to come. This is a reference to God the Father. And we'll see that same reference. And we'll have to be a little premature to be able to identify that clearly. Because when you get to Revelation chapter four, you're going to see this reference, him who is, who was, and is to come. It is being used as a reference to God, the father, the one who sits on the throne. And later on in chapter four, we're not there yet, but I'm sorry, guys. We're going to see Jesus later on coming to take the seals out of his hand. Okay. But the point is, this is a clear reference to God, the father, him who is, who was, and is to come. And then he says from the seven spirits. Now it doesn't mean the seven different spirits, but the idea simply means 
But remember, seven means what? Completion. Okay, and we can see that same thing when it talks about Jesus in the book of Isaiah. The Messiah will have the sevenfold spirit of God by using the number seven. It simply means the completeness or the fullness. So it deals with when it says the seven spirits, the fullness of the Holy Spirit himself. Okay, so this is another member of the triune Godhead and then who are before his throne. And then it says, notice, so now we got verse number four, him who is, who was, is to come. God, the father from the seven spirits, the Holy Spirit. And now go to verse number five and from Jesus, the Christ. When you see Christ, guys, just in case you haven't been seeing all of the teaching, always remember Christ is nothing more Christos. It is the Greek word for Messiah, for Jesus, the Messiah. That means Messiah means the anointed one of God, the one whom God has chosen and sent into the world for a specific purpose. And that specific purpose we derive from the very beginning of Genesis chapter three and verse 15, the seed of the woman, that one who comes to bring deliverance. So Jesus, Messiah. And then it says concerning Jesus, and here's those adjectival, adjectival expressions of Jesus. Who is Jesus? The faithful witness. So it speaks of that which Jesus did specifically, even when he was alive on earth. What did he do? He faithfully bore witness of God. Faithful witness, then it calls him the firstborn of the dead. This is also a reference that we see made mentioning by Paul when Paul calls him the first fruit of the dead. And that is, that simply means the first one to resurrect from the dead. So now, okay, okay, I, I can't. Here, what you have to see is this is the combination. Remember, I told you this is all about. The triune God who is sending the letter, God, the father, verse number four, verse number four, and God, the Holy Spirit. We also said in verse number four, but also God, the son. And that's what we're working out in verse number five, Jesus, the Messiah. But it also speaks of notice something else as it speaks of God, the son in the as the triune God, his humanity. Jesus, the Messiah. So notice we're bringing both in the concept of concerning Jesus, his divinity, that he is God and he is also man. Notice the idea, faithful witness, because as a man, he bore witness to the truth of God. He, nobody, no man can speak the things that he can speak except for one come down from heaven. And the only way you can do that, you have to be in heaven in the first place and be born a man and communicate this. He did this through Mary. I know I took that a little fast, but I know you guys pretty much understand that. Firstborn of the dead speaks of his resurrection from the dead. Jesus was the first to resurrect in it. Okay. Let me say, since I'm here, since I'm here, it doesn't mean Jesus was the first someone to resurrect from the dead. You can see that in the Old Testament when there were people who resurrected from the dead. It means the first to resurrect from the dead in a glorified body, such body that is never to die again. Okay. 
in a glory. So that's what it means when it says firstborn of the dead. It doesn't mean the first resurrect because notice you can go to John chapter 11. And what do you see? Jesus resurrecting Lazarus from the dead, but Lazarus did not resurrect with a glorified a glorified meaning an immortal body that can never die. Lazarus did not resurrect with that type of body. He resurrected with the same kind of human body that he had before he died. And therefore Lazarus died again. But Jesus, when he rose and that body that he had is immortal. That's what it means by firstborn from the dead, that resurrection body. He is the first to experience this type of resurrection. Okay. And the ruler of the kings of the earth. And by this ruler of the kings of the earth, now the whole picture of this revelation of Jesus is as a king. So let me, I, I tell you what, let's talk about this. Jesus has three offices. You have to understand this. Jesus has the office of a prophet, a priest, and a king. And in these offices, prophet, priest, and king, okay, he occupies, he, he, he administers these offices sequentially. He doesn't do it at the same time. Let me explain. When Jesus came into the world and Jesus was baptized, okay, that we see that in Matthew chapter 4. And he be, and the spirit came upon Jesus and he began to preach and what he did for three and a half years. This was Jesus in the office of a prophet. He declared the word of God. Now, once his earthly life was over after his death and resurrection and his ascension into heaven, what did the scriptures say? He is now seated at the right hand of God. What is he doing at the right hand of God? Making intercession for us. This is the office of a priest. Why? Because this is the function of a priest. The function of the priest is to intercede unto God on behalf of the people. And this is exactly what Jesus did. So he went from prophet. And now at this present time, Jesus is functioning in the office of a priest. When he returns in the second advent, and this is the very nature of this letter, is talking about his revelation, his return, his advent. He will function as a king, okay? And, a, and one of the functions of a king is to judge his people. And so, therefore, this is the picture. When we look at revelation, all of the, and when I say picture, that means all of the descriptions, you will see these constant descriptions. He who holds the stars and he who stands in the middle of the candlestick, he whose feet is like this, his eyes are like this. It is a picture of judgment because as a king, notice it says ruler of the kings of the earth, Jesus will function as the judge of all. Okay. And so that's what we got. Three functions of Jesus, never, ne never held all at the same time. Prophet, first coming, priest in heaven now, king in the future when he returns, okay? And this is the idea. When he returns, he will function as a king. And what has he done for us? The end of verse chapter five, 
to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And this is what he did as a man in offering his life for us on the cross. Our benefit, we were made priests and kings of Jesus. And all, even though all of this is a present thing, it is a present gift to the saints of God. It is to be enjoyed in the kingdom, in the millennial kingdom. We'll talk about all of that right now. I don't want to get into that. But the kingdom will be what we will enjoy when Jesus returns. All of our blessings are what we will enjoy when Jesus returns. That's why Paul, Paul himself said that he is dead. He is really dead and his life is hidden until Jesus returns. And that's when he'll be, he'll begin to enjoy the fullness of life that is in the kingdom. And Jesus himself taught many times that when he, from, from as far as our life is concerned now, we work, we labor. Okay. We work, we do these things for Jesus. And when he comes back, then he will reward us and we can enjoy the blessings of our God and our Lord. But anyway, so that's what he's done for us. Made us a kingdom, made us priests. Okay. And he ends with praise to Jesus, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So notice how it even anticipates the reign of Jesus, even though we even got there yet. But now let's finish verse number seven and eight. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all of the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be Amen. You know what? Let me stop there and deal with this verse because I think there's a substantial amount of stuff that we may want to unpack. So verse number seven is the literal theme of the book of Revelation. That is our theme. You got it? What it the theme is the coming of Jesus. What did he say? Behold, he is coming with the clouds. Now, that, that is the return. That's what I meant by guys. Second advent. Okay. Or, or the second coming of Jesus, the return of Jesus back to this planet. So here is the whole point of the book of Revelation. Also undeniable. We see Psalm 110 and very importantly, Daniel seven. I don't have time to get into all of the nuance but it is revealed in Daniel seven concerning the coming of the son of man. And we all understand that to be the Messiah. We know that this is now Jesus. Okay. This is Jesus. And notice how it says he returns. He comes with the clouds. And when it says the clouds, the reference here is the glory of the cloud, the cloud, the reference to the cloud is the Shekinah glory of God. And remember, the Shekinah glory of God is the visible manifestation of God's presence. And oftentimes, this will be seen, we'll notice in the Old Testament, as a cloud. All right? So Jesus comes with that cloud. We also saw in a similar thing in Jesus' ascension into heaven. How did he ascend? A cloud took him up into the heavens. And what did the angels say? In a similar manner that he went into heaven, 
he also returns back from heaven. He returns on the clouds. But this is the these are the clouds of glory of God, right? And he says, now, the reason why I want to take my time here is this. He says, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. All the tribes of the earth will mourn. All right. There is a general understanding here. And here's that. Let me give it to you. Every eye will see him. Let me break it down. Those who pierced him. This is the general idea concerning the Jewish people. This is a general reference to the Jewish people. Why? Because they, and even namely the leaders, but the leaders standing representative for the people. So the idea is all the Jewish people. Okay. They will see Jesus at his return. That's what I want you to see. They will see him. So representative, those who pierced him and also tribes of the earth will mourn over him. And the same thing, what he's talking about is, and they will see him as well. They're mourning because they see him. They're mourning because of the judgment that he brings. Okay. They're not mourning. Oh, it's so wonderful to see him. Mourning because there's judgment. Because remember the whole idea in the book of Revelation, as you're going to see it later on. So bear with me in the picture of Jesus. It is a picture of judgment. The whole point, a picture of judgment because the world has rejected Jesus messiahship. The world has rejected God to have Jesus is to have God, the father. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have God, the father. So we can say in a sense, the world has rejected God because they have rejected the Messiah. So therefore these judgments in the book of revelation will come upon the world. Okay. So let's go back. Let's go back a little bit to dealing with that issue of every eye shall see him. So we have our two representative groups, right? Those who pierced him, Jewish people and all the, all the tribes of the earth, all you got it. Gentiles. Remember there are only two, the Bible basically deals with two groups of people in the basic sense. Jew and Gentile. And when you say Jew and Gentile, that means everybody. You are either a Jew or you're a Gentile. Okay. But anyway, let's go back. Let's, let's bring this thing together because I believe that there is something else to see. And remember again, go back to what I said earlier when I said in the book, in the introduction concerning revelation, the proper manner of interpreting revelation, when there is no reason not to accept the literal interpretation, accept it as that. So let us deal with the literal words. He said, every eye will see him. All right. Everybody will see him. And that is inclusive of those who pierced him. Now, what I just did for you guys was I broke those two groups down as representative groups. That is who will see him? Jews and Gentiles. Okay. But in striving to hold to our, to, we got to be consistent in literal interpretation. Okay, guys, that's where I'm going at right now. And we're going to make this final point and we'll close this teaching with this final point. He says, every eye will see him and what eyes will see him in particular, the ones who pierced him. That takes us back 
to mark and to get directly to the point. The whole issue is it. You can see it in Mark 14, uh, 53, and let us simply say to verse 62. Let, let us say that, okay? We're not going to cover all of that, but that's the context. What it is is this. Remember, on the final Passover of Jesus, when he celebrated it with his disciples, after that, they went into the garden. Remember, they went to the little secret place, and Judas came Jesus was arrested. When Jesus was arrested, he was brought before the Jewish council. What did I say, guys? He was brought before the Jewish council. Remember, I'm dealing with the whole point. Those who pierced him, okay, the Jews. He was brought before the Jewish council. When he was brought before the Jewish council, they began to try to get witnesses to try to testify against Jesus so that they could put him to death. That's what they were trying to do. Remember, because soon within within 24 hours, Jesus would be dead. He would be on the cross dead. But they're trying to get witnesses to have Jesus put him to death to legally do it. Of course, they didn't do it right. But and so in doing so, they kept getting all of these false witnesses. But the false witnesses could not agree. The high priest got irritated because Jesus didn't say anything and they were failing to get their witnesses to agree. So it wasn't working out right. So he got angry and demanded Jesus to speak for himself. Okay, answer for yourself. All right. So let's just go to verse 60 so we can see what's going on. The high priest stood up came forward and questioned Jesus saying, do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? He said, say something for yourself. You got it? Trying to get him to testify because it's not working right. But what happened? He kept silent. Jesus did. He did not answer. And the high priest, he's irritated even further. Again, the high priest was questioning him and saying to him, what are you? Notice he says, okay, just tell us once and for all. Are you, and, and let me break it, are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Just go ahead on, just tell it once and for all. And notice, when he hit Jesus with that final question, Jesus spoke and said these words. Watch what he says, guys. And Jesus said to him, you asked am I the Messiah? I am the Messiah. And notice what he said. Here's what you got to say. Jesus is talking to that high priest, Notice to those group of men, Sanhedrin, all of them weren't there, all of them were there, but the group of Sanhedrin that had come together to condemn him to death that night. Jesus is talking to those people. What does he say to that high priest and those men there? And you shall see the son of man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. That's what we're seeing in Revelation. You will see what? The coming heaven open. Jesus sitting on the at the right hand of power means on the throne of God Himself. And what will He begin? He be doing? He will be coming in the clouds of heaven. That is His second coming. That's what we're talking about right now in the Book of Revelation. Go back to where He says, and the let's just go back to it. Go back to the text. What did He say? He is coming on the clouds. What did Jesus just say to those in Sanhedrin? You will see me coming on the clouds. Now, why am I 
hitting this point. Here's what you got to see. Jesus said to those men. Now, some try to take it as a reference to many things, future, whatever. Let's just hit the point. Hit the point. He said his reference is his second return. Here's what you got to see, guys. To those men, the high priest, those men that he spoke to, where are they? They are all dead and gone. They've been dead and gone for over a thousand years. They are dead and gone. And notice for those who did not come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, for those who did not come to faith. And this was the most of this was the majority of them. These were basically the predominant. These all of these men, for the most part, who condemned Jesus to death. OK, they died because if you do not believe that I am the Messiah, you will die in your sins. And if you died in your sins without believing in Jesus Messiahship, you went straight to hell. That's what you got to see. And that's the point that I'm trying to bring. It is an astounding truth, a point you died and went to hell. So what am I saying concerning these men of the Sanhedrin council? They were unbelievers. They rejected Jesus. They were responsible for his crucifixion. And therefore they died in unbelief and went straight to hell. That is Gehenna, hell fire. After their bodies went into the ground, their souls went into hell. And that's when Jesus talked about it. What is it? Luke chapter 16. He said there was a man by the name of what? Lazarus. And Lazarus went into the bosom of Abraham. Paradise. Paradise is now cleared. And see the teaching that I did about that. I don't have time to get into it. But what happened to the rich man in hell? Gehenna. Hell fire. He lifted up his eyes. This is the place where these rulers, the Sanhedrin, went to for their rejection of Jesus. This is exactly where they went. OK, but now here's the point. But what did he promise them? He promised that they will see him coming on the clouds. What does it say? And what am I trying to say? So let me try to make a couple more points and hit it right. Bring it home. When Jesus returns. The advent of Jesus. So now we're back in Revelation. And let's bring that together with what I just said about the point that Jesus made to those men. You, you men will see me coming back. But they are what again, guys? They are dead and in hell. Their souls are in hell. But Jesus said, you still going to see me. Okay. And now let's go back to verse number seven. In Revelation, where he says, when he comes with those clouds, every eye shall see him. I believe this biblical interpreter, interpreter, <laughs> me, that what the Bible is teaching, and I hope I've, I've proved that thus far. By Mark 14, when Jesus said to them, they're going to see him. Every human being who ever lived, you got to remember, whether you are living at that time. Jews and Gentiles, or whether you are dead, even in hell itself, that the return of Jesus will be such a glorious event. See, that's the, that's the high point of all scripture, just in case you guys didn't know. And I don't have time to get with it. And that's why we hear in the book of Revelation. The high point of all scripture is the return of the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah 
to judge the world. It would be such an incredible event that hell itself will be opened up and people in burning hell will be able to see Jesus coming in the cloud with great power and glory. Why? Because those jokers of the Sanhedrin, what did he say to them? You, you will see. And see that the whole strength of the point is this, guys. He's saying to them, you may be rejecting me now. So that's what you got to see, guys. He's saying to the Sanhedrin at his time when they're judging him, you are rejecting me now. But the day is coming when you who are rejecting and condemning me will see me with your own eyes. And what you what are you rejecting? My messiahship. But what will you see? You will indeed see when I come on those clouds. I am the Messiah and you who condemn me on this day will see it. Okay. So the whole point when it says in revelation one and seven, this is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Let's bring it to a close. <laughs> when it says every eye, it means every eye, every human being who ever lived will see this great and wonderful day when Jesus returns on the cloud. All right. Now, you might say to me that, that that's crazy. That that's crazy. Okay. But watch this. Hold on. First of all, is there anything too hard for God? Will not God resurrect the dead anyway? Will not the dead, uh, 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 evil and wicked stand before God, see God. And that is when I say God, I mean, Jesus, the Messiah, that's John chapter five. But you might say to me, that's incredible. I don't think that's incredible. And you might think to that that interpretation that I just laid about all eyes, even hell itself opening up and seeing and witnessing Jesus coming back is a great thing. It is not too great of a thing. OK, and let me show you why. Here's our last passage. Remember when Paul talked about humility in the book of Philippians. Remember that in chapter two. And we're going to go to that and close it out. <laughs> And Paul was dealing with the whole sense of this. This is the whole point. He was trying to say to the Philippians, use Jesus, accept Jesus as the ultimate example of humility. And that's what he was trying to say. Jesus being God himself. Okay, Let, let's just go. Let's just go. Philippians chapter two. That's what he's talking about. Right. Verse number five. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. See that? Follow Jesus example, you Philippians. What? What is the attitude example of humility? What? Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of men. Now, I'm not going to get into all the explanation of that. I just simply say this in the beginning before before incarnation, before he was born, before he came through Mary. He was simply what God, that's verse number six. He existed in the form of God, his eternal, his eternal existence as a divine being. Jesus was God. And what did he do? He emptied himself of that greatness, right? And lowered himself because to be made a human being, there is a, such a gulf, a difference between man and God. It is ridiculous. Man can never be God. Right. So for Jesus to do that meant an humbling of himself. And that's what Paul is trying to tell them. Like Jesus humbled himself, 
You humble yourself. So verse number eight, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And that's his whole point. What did he do? Although he was God, he allowed himself to become man. Even as a man, he humbled himself even further to being to suffering an ignominious death on the cross. That was an awful death, right? So that is the ultimate act of humility. And so he's saying to the Philippians, follow the example of Jesus in humility, right? And then he began to say this, and because this is our point, and I know I can, I can go on, but listen, because he did this, because Jesus humbled himself. Now watch the text also carefully for this reason. Verse number nine, because he humbled himself like this, God to man, to death on the cross. What? God highly exalted him, that is God the Father, exalted Jesus and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name. So God has given him a name greater than all names of all creatures of creation. Okay? And this is speaking of Jesus as Messiah. You got it? He's given him a name greater than all other names. But now watch this. Watch what happens. Verse number 10. Listen. So that at the name of Jesus, that means there will come a time when the name of Jesus will be pronounced in this universe. It was Jesus that this name, exalted name, Jesus, it will be pronounced in the universe. Watch what happens. Watch what happens. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. What knee? Every knee. That means that Every human being, every, listen, every human being, every angel, every demon, everybody. What, what every do you mean? Those who are in heaven and even on the earth and under the earth. Okay, in heaven, you know what heaven is, the domain of God. On earth, you know what earth on earth is. That's where we live now. And then notice what it says, under the earth. That's hell itself. That's the underworld. So note, but now here's the thing that you got to see, guys. They heard it. They heard the sound when the when the name. How do people in hell hear? Jesus. Somebody called, somebody called out Jesus. And they knew when the in hell itself. Uh-oh, there is the name. Even if they didn't want to bow. What did they do? They bowed anyway. I just want to, I'm just bringing this point to you. Who bowed? Who bowed? Everybody in heaven, on earth, and even in hell itself. Here's my point that I'm driving home. And they, and they had to hear it. So they bowed when they heard it. Here's my point. And if this can take place, that at the name of Jesus, People in hell can hear his name and bow. Is it such a great thing to believe that people in hell, or should I say, hell can be opened up at the wonderful coming of Jesus and people can see it. What people can see it? Even those who condemned Jesus when he stood before the Sanhedrin. So therefore the scriptures will be fulfilled literally in verse number seven, when it says every eye shall see him as every ear will hear him in Philippians and bow every eye, everybody ever born will see Jesus when he returns. 
Alright guys, <laughs> we'll stop right there and we will continue with the address of Jesus as we move through the rest, through the rest of chapter one. Catch you next time. Have you subscribed yet? What are you waiting for? Subscribe.